Hello and welcome to the Friday, the 6th of December edition of the Weezer Under Dugcast with myself, Paul Kavanagh, and today I'm joined by Stuart Ward of the National. Nice to be back with you again, Paul. I know, I know, because Calm's still a dirty stuff. <laughs> As ever. He's a busy, busy boy these days. I know, busy I know. Boy. But I'm a bit kind of bleh, bleh, bleh today because my tongue's really sore. Because mm-hmm. I cut my, um, I broke a tooth. Oh last week uh-huh. and it was like having a razor blade in my mouth and I kind of lacerated my tongue I've had the tooth fixed now but my tongue's still really painful it's powering through so, it today so I feel a bit kind of there <laughs> I'm talking about all that we're going to try we're so, going to try but even though I'm still probably making more sense than an awful lot of what's going on in British politics <laughs> that's how it's done that's a professional <laughs> For example, <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened this week? We had Do- uh, we had uh, Donald Trump was on a visit. Donald Trump was, and it's not been the most pleasant visit for Donald Trump. Well, he did actually behave himself relatively well. Mm. Um, the Tories were terrified that he was going to say, "Yes, I want to buy the NHS." And, yeah, you know, and obviously someone had been warning him, "Don't talk about the British election. Don't talk about the NHS." And he kind of went too far in the opposite direction in terms of the plausibility stakes <laughs> because he said that he wouldn't want the NHS even if it was handed to him on a silver platter. Mm, and yes. everybody went, yeah, right, That's Donald. not quite true, Donald, right, is Donald, it? Because that, <laughs> no, that has the ring of truth. That does. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but it was most marked the visit by the fact that he stormed off in a huff at the NATO summit after the end of the NATO summit because the other leaders were laughing at him. And, I mean, it's, you know, he was kind of elected in this idea of oh, other countries are laughing at us now, I you know, know, we need to I restore know. our pride and dignity. And, and then... He goes and does that. And then he goes and does that. And yeah. it, was, it was Justin Trudeau, Canada, it was... Princi- Just, yeah, Princess uh, Anne? Macron, uh, Princess Anne, <laughs> Boris Johnson. Yeah. And they were having a wee huddle. A wee huddle. And a, they were overheard... I think it was it was Justin Trudeau to say that uh, that Donald Trump's team's jaw dropped. Now, there was asking why they were forty minutes late, mm. and it was because Donald Trump had a, an impromptu press conference, and there was all sorts of shocked looks and laughing, and Donald Trump <laughs> took the huff. Basically, he's a remarkably thin-skinned man, isn't he? To have his finger on the nuclear button, which is a bit of a worry. <laughs> Speaking of thin-skinned men, Andrew Neil. Oh yeah. He, um, so we had, uh, we, uh, as well as the Trump stuff, we had kind of confirmation this week. We talked about a bit last week about his interview style and stuff. We had confirmation this week that Boris isn't going to appear. Basically, the Tories have said That's too many interruptions. It's too, you know, it's not a very good interview style. It's basically what they said. Aye. Even though they were quite happy to share all the clips with other leaders. Yes, of course. Um, so Andrew Neil did a kind of thing where he did like a kind of three-minute monologue. He went to face the camera. Yeah. Yes. Well, did, after after did, eviscerating Nigel Farage. Do you think? That's kind of sufficient from Andrew Neil. Was that the well, right thing to do? No, not really. I think what he should have done is they should have empty chaired them, mm. <laughs> basically. I said, right, we're having the interview, but we could have had like a panel of fact-checking experts mm. and said, right, these are all the questions that we're going to put. We wanted to put to, Donald, to, to, to Boris Johnson, you know, like say about his forty hospitals, and then we could have got somebody from. Like you know, a, a proper fact check organisation, not the Conservative Party press, <laughs> press HQ, uh, who would say no, there's not going to be forty hospitals built, blah blah blah. There's only, I think, there's funding for six, uh, and the rest of them, it's you know, there, there's seed money for development for developing a plan for some others, and I think there's another thirteen that don't even have. Somebody can probably fact check me on this and find out that I'm wrong, but. There's another 13, I believe, I may be 
and correct that don't even have any funding. It's just like, wouldn't it be nice if we had a new hospital? <laughs> you know. Mm. So I also he's promising fifty thousand new nurses. I think he, he said, but twenty thousand of them are already working. Yes. So, but even if you know he delivered on these promises of all these extra police and all these extra nurses, it just takes us back to where we were before austerity kicked in. You know, so it's back to the future with Boris Johnson, even if we, we, he was actually telling the truth, <laughs> which, which is not a rare treat indeed. And I honestly think that's what the BBC should have done. It's mm. fine; it was quite, you know, okay. You know, Andrew Neil had his wee bit to camera, but I think what they should have done was had a whole half-hour program of dissecting the claims because there's plenty of footage mm-hmm. of Boris Johnson making these claims. You know, so you can construct an interview out of the claims that he makes in his public experiences, and then have that fact checked. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what they should have done. Yeah, I mean, it's just toothless. Because mm-hmm. I think what they need to do, if see the reason that the reason that that, that Boris Johnson's campaign team and he came out with a laughable excuse that it wasn't him that made these decisions, like Boris Johnson isn't in charge of his own campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. No. You know, get, get real, get real. But they've obviously made the decision that it is better for them to take the flack for not doing the interview than to do the interview. And what the broadcasters have to do is to demonstrate that the consequences of not doing the interview are worse than the consequences of doing it. Mm. I mean, I think one of the kind of going back to talk a little, a little bit as last week as well, but is when you look at the Ace Sculpture Channel 4 did. The ice, yes. the ice sculpture was a news story. It was people, you know, yeah. it was very easy for other outlets to report on that and say, <laughs> yeah, the ice sculpture instead of Boris. And that kind of gets people's attention. Aye. That kind of gets people to say, oh, he wasn't willing to debate on climate change. Whereas this BBC approach of an Andrew Neil monologue, well, it's spread about on Twitter and it's got quite a few views on well, Twitter. Well, only a couple of minutes, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, it, you know, it's not going to. It's not no, going to attract the attention. It's not going to have the same traction. No, it doesn't get the imagination going or, right. you know, it's not snappy and how many people are going to sit in and watch three minutes of Andrew Neil talking about that? I mean, relative. But, you know, but that's obviously what they've done, Boris mm. Johnson's campaign team, and they're, they're really adopting a strategy of keeping people away from the cameras or keeping people away from scrutiny. I mean, most notably with Boris Johnson, you know, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg has completely vanished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he has nowhere He's to gone. see. Sajid Javid is practically invisible as well, you know. So there's, there's a whole lot of that going on with the Tory campaign that's very much uh, batting down the hatches and let's not, you know... Not give us, not make ourselves any, not give any targets. Mm-hmm. And I think what, the polling as well, just now, it seems to be going up and down a lot. And well, some, there was a, a poll out today that said that the, the, the lead had narrowed slightly. Mm. So it's gonna. I mean, it's just one of these ones you just can't call. But um, did you see the thing? I think it was on Channel Four. I was so depressed. <laughs> Honestly, I was so depressed. Oh no! It was they had a, a focus group of ex-Labour voters. Mm-hmm. And asking them about you know who they were going to vote for, they're all going to vote for Boris Johnson. And you is know, it, is, was it because of Brexit? Or? Yeah, and they were saying things like Boris is a buffoon, he's a but he's a lovable buffoon. Oh, it's like no, he's God. not. He's just a liar, uh-huh. you know. Um, but even worse than that, uh, I think it was it was either on Channel Four or it was on the BBC. I can't remember. But they interviewed a young couple who were dependent on food banks. Mm-hmm. And the guy said he was going to vote for Boris Johnson, and you're like, you just want to hit your head off the mm-hmm, wall, mm-hmm. you know, when when people like that, you know, why, why are you voting to cut off your feet? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? You know, why? why? But 
that's what makes me so depressed that because there was somebody else who said that oh yeah Boris Johnson's a liar but I believe him <laughs> uh, like, what? No, that's not how it works. No, no, unfortunately, just like the clues and what you just mm-hmm. said there. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is this is why we want out. I mean, you can grieve. Uh, so yeah, so I'm not very optimistic. That's fair about this general election, and it's not been. To be honest, it's not. It's not really excited people. No, I, I think you're right. This campaign, mm-hmm. it's just been kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, can we not just? Uh. We've been so weighed down in politics for so. I mean, in, in terms of Brexit, it just kind of feels like an extension of it. But also because the options are an offer well, are just so uninspiring. This is also you know, true like in terms of UK politics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of oh my god. You know, mm-hmm. we've got we've got Boris Johnson or, or Jeremy Corbyn, neither of whom are like. You know, mm-hmm. you just want to go to roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> and just see who voted in. Um, Scotland as well, obviously, north of the border this week. We had some kind of. What's the word would be? News from Glenrothes and stuff. Yeah, well, the, the anti Semitism scandal, which has been dogging the Labour Party, has now reached the SNP. Mm. Um, the, I have to be honest, I don't think it was handled at all well. Uh, the SNP suspended a candidate, uh, Neil Hanvey, in Glenrothes, uh, for allegedly making anti-Semitic uh, comments on social media. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, the, the difference between Neil Hanvey and other candidates being suspended in other parties is that he was, he had a very, very good chance of winning. You know, the other candidates probably weren't going to win, whereas Neil Hanvey was, you know in prime position to take the seat from Labour and you know he could have unseated Leslie Laird the Shadow Secretary of State for Scotland so under those circumstances when that kind of decision is made this close to an election in a prime target seat I think the SNP handled it very very poorly because they really need to explain themselves fully in a way that supporters of the party understand what went on because this is a top target seat you know and I don't think they did that I think it was handled very very badly Uh, and that opened up just all sorts of crazy mad conspiracy theory speculation on social media which is really unhelpful to everybody you know there's a time and a place for recriminations and I think it's after next week you know Uh, there's certainly some explanations that need to be given, but at the moment we need to batten down the hatches and make sure that we get as many pro-independence representatives as possible. That still, of course, leaves open the question of what would you do in Glenrothes if you are an independent supporter? You know, Neil Hanvey has apologised for the comments that he made, and he's to be, you know, that's that's a good thing. So it's up to people in Glenrothes to decide whether or not that apology is sufficient for them to give their vote to him. Because he's still on the ballot, but the SNP's not campaigning for him anymore. However, this whole, the way it was handled was compounded, you know, the, the, the bad way it was handled was compounded, because one of the people on the panel who's supposed to be investigating it was herself unmasked by Channel 4 as allegedly having made anti-Semitic comments on social media. And that's, you know, just kind of compounded the issue. Uh, There has been a whole lot of, frankly, crazy talk 
on social media that it's this has all come within the SNP and it's this one faction within the SNP and it's you know woke in inverted commas faction trying to get rid of its, its opponents. There's absolutely zero evidence for that at all, uh, and the reporter on Channel Four has actually denied that. I believe mm-hmm. he said no, that's not where it came from at all. And you know, I think in these kind of circumstances, you always need to ask yourself first of all is who benefits? Who gets the most benefit from this? And it's the Labour Party, obviously. You know, if they can remove the SNP challenge for one of, you know, they're not, I was going to say prominent, but we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, if they can remove the challenge to one of their MPs in a, in a, in a private seat, <laughs> yeah, prominent's probably not the right word. <laughs> uh, but aye, uh, they're the ones that are going to do it. And all the parties have, you know, they have teams of people raking through the past comments of people on social media that are involved in these, you know, all the candidates, you know. So if I was to think, you know, who was the person that that tipped off Channel 4, my first thought would be somebody in the Labour Party. That would be my first port of call, not immediately to start an infight about, you know, people within the SNP, you know. And I don't understand the motivation behind that kind of talk at all. Mm. Um, you've kind of been on the ground elsewhere recently. Um, yeah, I've been about and about. Yeah, uh, going to Stranraer. I'm going to Stranraer down your way. Down my way. Down your way tomorrow. And that's um, for Richard Arcus, yes. the MP candidate down there. Yes, campaigning for him. Um, so what, what can you? What are you kind of seeing on the ground? Well, I've not been to there yet. He's not been there, but just in but general, I've heard things. I, I, I've heard things. Yeah, so there well, and just in Scotland yeah, in general. What I'm hearing, certainly from from Dumfries and Galloway, mm. where the the I actually wrote a blog article about it the other day. But you know, why you vote for Richard Atlas, mm. even if you don't support independent, vote for Richard Atlas because the priority is to get rid of the Tory. Yes, you know, particularly somebody like Alistair Jack, who has spoken four times in the past year in the. Four times. And I checked the figures. I looked up, you know, uh-huh. they work for you.com. And Richard and Richard Arkless in his last year as an MP spoke 52 times mm-hmm. in debates in the Commons, you know. So who's giving you the value for money there, people? Who's actually giving a voice to the people of Dumfries and yeah. Galloway? And I mean, no. Richard Arkless is, uh, sorry, um, Alistair Jack. And, and, and when he's been, to- like, the events that have been going on in that region recently. Aye. He's meant to represent this region, and he's not even been going to stuff. No, he's uh, not even been going. He's sending somebody else. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I saw a thing online about um, it was a, it was a, a campaign event down in, I can't remember where it was. Now it was down in the constituency, mm-hmm. and it was some, some rando mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was sent instead of instead of Alistair Jack. You know, but obviously get the servants to do it. Yeah, why not? You know, you know. of course, you know, just get the servants to do his campaigning <laughs> for him. But yeah, uh, but Richard's one of the good guys, you know, and and I met him in the first campaign. Yeah, you know, to, you know, I, and, and I really like him, I, and he's 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 committed to you know local people. He's committed to local causes, and he will be a strong voice for the people of Dumfries and Galloway. What I'm hearing is that um, the canvassing's been going very well. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's going to win, I don't know. I really, really hope so. But what I'm being told is that. It feels very different at the doors from what it did in 2017. Mm. And that there is a lot of anger about the Conservatives uh, and Alistair Jack's kind of entitlement. It is entitlement. Really, Mm -hmm. to Brexit as well, in what is a pro Remain area. Mm -hmm. He's not representing local people. And you're talking about Richard, I remember 
Richard Arcus at uh, uh, kind of independence event before the referendum, and it was one of the first times I've oh, seen yeah. someone speak about it. So, I mean, this is a guy who's very dedicated to the cause. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's been out and about Really for fantastic, a while. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I, I mean, it's just. When you, when you when you think for the region, the recent Galway is obviously quite a, you know, lesser um, in the spotlight region, shall yes, we say. Yeah. And then you get someone from the Scotland Secretary. Aye. You think, oh, well, that might be, you know, some attention. No. no. <laughs> just no. No. It's not. It's just... So it's kind of geographically isolated. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just, it's kind of tucked away in the southwest corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know. But it'd be such a fantastic scam to would, get. Yeah, really would. would. So I'm speaking at an event for him tomorrow. It's in the Coronation Day Centre mm-hmm. in Whitson Avenue in Stranraer. It starts at 7 o'clock. And please feel free to come along. And the dog will be there. The dog will be there. The dog will be there expecting treats and attention. <laughs> I'm quite happy without the treats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dog won't be the only thing there. No, no, there's a... <coughs> launching a new Gallic map of Galilee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's very nice, Well, it you, must be said. You've already seen it. I have, uh, yeah, yeah it's really fascinating. You're from Bullet. What is that, uh, Newton Stewart? I don't from? want to... Uh, it's a pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from, I'm from Monigaff, Monigaff, which is, oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. Kind of part of Newton Stewart. Uh, Moynigolva, I think oh, it is. Right. I think it's right. in, in Gaelic. So, yeah, so it's a new Gaelic map of Galloway. It's based on the work of a guy called Maxton, uh, Maxwell, sorry, who published a book about Gaelic, uh, about the place names of Dumfries and Galloway um, over 100 years ago. Mm. So it's out, of, it's out of copyright, it's available online. And that was the main source that I used. Um, so it's uh, it's quite a detailed map. It's about it's the scale of one to one hundred thousand. So it's one kilometre to a mile, and it's I believe the very first Gaelic map of Galloway. Wow, so. that is something. And uh, you know this is quite topical as well. Just now, um, I think we have I think it's John Swinney in the paper today talking about kind of plans for more teaching of Gaelic. Yes. We've got the, the Duolingo course in Gaelic launched um, last week. And it? there's actually now more people. Signed up to Duolingo, mm. then there are actually people who speak Gaelic. Yeah, people learning Gaelic on <laughs> yeah. Duolingo, which, which is good. Which is really good. It's, yeah. a real, it's a sign that there's real interest in the language. You know, mm. when asked, "Did my Gaelic go grade?" which was a shockingly long time ago, <laughs> long before you were born, Stuart. Uh, I was the only kid, and well, I actually did it at night school because obviously it wasn't an option mm. at my school, um, and I did it at night school. But even though I was doing it in night school, because I was a school pupil, that was the school that had to officially put me forward for the O grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the only kid in Lanarkshire that year who did a Gaelic O grade. Wow. The only one. The only one who did a Gaelic Learners, Gaelic Learners O grade. And uh-huh. then a Gaelic Learners Higher the following year. So, yeah. No one else did it. It was just... Just you. Yeah, it went well, clearly. <laughs> I did, yes, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. Well, uh, you know what? I got an E. They've got an E. I did. So, yeah. what would you get? If we've got some of our listeners here who may be thinking about, oh, should I let? I mean, we know that Gaelic really does seem to get in a lot of Tories' nerves. Yes, well. it does. That's one of the things I like about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's linguistics and wind up at the same time. It's the road signs that get them, isn't it? Like. So yeah, road signs. Gaelic road signs because they cause potholes. <laughs> <laughs> Gaelic's a magic language. It right is. on the side of a police helicopter, and the helicopter crashes. <laughs> yeah. So so says the Tories. Yeah. And yeah. um, so you know, what would you? What, what's your kind of 
sales pitch for, for people who may be interested in learning it? Well, go for it. It's not the easiest language to learn, but don't be discouraged. You mm-hmm. know, Gaelic is, it's, it's, it opens up your eyes to the landscape of Scotland. And what you realise is that the countryside actually tells you a story. And that's what fascinates me about place names particularly and, you know, the Gaelic language. Uh, because the, the names actually mean things, you know. Uh, like the town, the village that you were born in. Yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the peat moor of the smithy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it tells you a story because obviously at some point there must have been a smithy. Yeah, there must have been a blacksmith's and there was a peat moor, you know. And they tell you what people were doing on the land and they tell you the story of the landscape, you know. And, and we've lost contact with that because, you know, place names have just become kind of meaningless collections of nonsense syllables for most of us in Scotland. You know, and for me, that's one of the, the the beauties of the Gaelic language is that it makes the countryside talk. You know, it actually makes the landscape talk to you, and I think that's a great thing. But it's worth persevering with it. The biggest obstacle to speaking another language is embarrassment. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm my, I have to say, my Spanish is an awful lot better than my Gaelic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I moved away. Uh, and I forgot a lot of my Gaelic, um, but I moved to Spain and my Spanish is really good. You know, I actually worked as an interpreter in Spain. But you have to go through that. You know, when I was learning Spanish, you know, you, you have to go through that. Basically, me foreigner, me not talk good stage. <laughs> you know, you have to do it. You have to go through it. You have to embarrass yourself because that's the only way that you will ever improve, you know. But people appreciate that, because when you make that effort, what you're saying in effect is, look, I'm prepared to make a fool out of myself so you don't have to. And that warms people to you. And the very worst thing you can do is make an embarrassing mistake, you know. And I've made a few of those in Spanish. Not long after I moved to Spain, I wanted to tell my neighbour, who's a little old Spanish lady, you know, in her seventies, Pilar made fantastic paella. This woman, mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful food, and she made these Spanish cake things that I can't remember the name of that were really, really good. But anyway, that's about, I'm just my mouth's watering now. My mouth's <laughs> but I uh, and I was I, I, the air conditioning was broken in the house, right? And and I tried what I, the sentence I was trying to tell my elderly Spanish neighbour was. I couldn't sleep last night because I was too hot. Because it was the middle of summer and I had no air conditioning. And what actually it oh, came no. out is, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night because I was too horny. <laughs> and she just burst out laughing and she said, I'm not that kind of a girl, Paul. And I know you're not that kind of a boy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, people know that you're making a mistake. Yeah. You know, There's actually an even more embarrassing mistake that I made, uh, which involves a swear word, uh-huh. right? so be, be warned, Forward. there's a swear word approaching um, the dog ran off in the park right? and now there's differences between Spanish of Spain and Spanish of Latin America, like British English and American English and some words that are perfectly innocuous words in Spain mean rude things in America and uh, you know, in Latin America and vice versa and one of those is the verb coger, which in Spain just is, you coger an autobus. It just means to catch. You catch the bus, coger an autobus. 
But in Latin America, that means to shag or to screw. That is quite a difference. Yes, it is quite a difference. They actually use the word agarrar in Latin America, which in Spain means to grab a hold of. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I was talking to my neighbour who was from Argentina, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was... The dog had run off in the park, but the dog we had at the time. And I was trying to tell her um, the dog ran off in the park and I was trying to catch her. And because I was thinking, oh, but wait a minute, coger's a rude word in Latin America. I shouldn't use the word coger. And I just got totally confused. And what I actually said was, uh, the dog ran off in the park and I was trying to fuck her. I've went in the full range. And of this she podcast. just burst out laughing and she says, I think that's, you're okay, Paul, I think that's legal in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just bright red and totally mortified. But if that doesn't encourage you to pick up garlic, I don't know what will. I know, I know. But it's just, but the thing, the point of the story is she knew it was mm-hmm. a mistake, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it endears you to people when you make mistakes like that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not as hard, it's, it's not as easy to make mistakes like that in garlic. should be out. <laughs> but, you know, it's worthwhile persevering with it because the rewards do speak for themselves mm. eventually, you know. And it's, garlic's a beautiful, beautiful language. And I'm delighted that, you know, I've now got to this stage in my life where people share the passion that I had for it when I was young because, you know, the reason I started doing these gallant maps was because when I was a wee boy and obsessed with place names and wanting to learn Gaelic and people just laughed at it. They just thought, that's mad. Why don't you learn, learn a useful language? You know, that's what I was always being told. And I remember asking my mum for a Gaelic map of Glasgow mm-hmm. because I wanted to know what all these place names meant. Like the place where I was brought up, Brachny. It actually took me 40 years to find out what that means. It's Baruchni in Gaelic, and it means the heathery hill, you know. It means something in Gaelic, you know. It took me 40 years to work it out, mind you. But, but that's what I wanted. I wanted a Gaelic map so that I could find out what all these names meant, you know. And my mum just laughed at me and said, yeah, I don't think there's any demand for that, son. I mean, this was back in the 70s, you know. Probably in the late 60s, even. Early, early 70s. And obviously, you know, what I'm always saying, my motto for the independence movement, if you want something done, date yourself. So I did it myself. So I've never got a gallon up in Glasgow. There you go. The SDIY spirit in that's action. It, that's it, that's it. So yeah, so I'm really pleased with the whole Duolingo thing. It's gone really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that as rounded up? Any other announcements or...? I don't know. No? I think so we've done Snrar, but so Snrar... Oh yeah, I've said the... Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, so the important thing is next week, of next course, week. is the last week of the election. Mm-hmm. Um, get out and vote, mm-hmm. and vote SNP basically because we have to. It's imperative that you know the next time we do a podcast, we will be dissecting the results. Uh, it is imperative that Scotland returns as many pro-independence MPs as possible because if we don't, you know, if we allow this stupid infighting to get the better of us the the message that's going to be broadcast loud and wide on the BBC and in the press the UK press, it will not be oh Scotland was unhappy with Nicola Sturgeon's handling of you know allegations of anti-Semitism, it won't be Scotland wasn't happy with the way the SNP have been dealing with the gender identity debate, it won't be 
you know, the Scotland isn't unhappy with the way Nicola Sturgeon is trying to get another independence referendum, it will be Scotland doesn't want an independence referendum and it will kill independence off. So it is imperative that we make sure that the SNP does as well as it possibly can in this coming election. So I would urge you to get up and get out and vote. And if you can't vote, if the SNP has no chance in the part of the constituency you're in, vote for the person who's most likely to get rid of the Tory. Because the Tories are frankly just evil. Good advice, Steve. Yeah. Good advice. So thank you for listening, everyone. That's us for uh, another week. Yeah, get yep. out and vote. And hopefully um, my tongue will be better next hopefully week. Hopefully your tongue will be better. Right? If it's not got a big lump on it, it's really painful. Martyred through it for this. I know. We're I grateful. Suffer for the cause. Suffer for the cause. <laughs> so I do. So yeah, so and hopefully if you're in Stranraer uh, or in the southwest of Scotland, mm-hmm. please come along. It'd be great to see you. And uh, it looks like it's going to be a good night. It should be. So next week we'll be dissecting the results of the election and probably going, oh my God, Boris Johnson, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) It seems that way. But hopefully we can be saying, yay, you know, we got rid of Alistair Jack and we got rid of these Tories and we got rid of this person and that person. So that would be good. Do it for our podcast, if no other reason. Exactly, exactly. Come on, I need to be cheered up. Come on. (laughs) A cheery edition. Thank you, everyone. All right. Bye for me.